Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Takes a shot, runs into the box, shot, score! It's time for Atlanta Sucker Tonight. Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound, score! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore. Welcome to our weekly show. We cover soccer in Atlanta, all over the state of Georgia, all over the Southeast, the United States, this hemisphere, the planet, anything where we can find a little footy being played, we are going to talk about it. It was a big week for soccer in Georgia. You had the high school state championships. We'll get into that in the 3-4-3. You had Atlanta United make a little trip down to South Florida, which was not the most fun trip it wasn't a good business trip and it resulted in a 2-1 win for inner miami and one of those nights where those storylines and things that you just think are too good to be true in terms of actually happening did joseph martinez hasn't scored all season for inner miami he didn't start this match and he gets both miami goals Oh, it was one of those nights at the office. There's a lot of things to dig into here, and we'll kind of bounce around a little bit here in the first segment, go a little deeper into the match and where things stand in the second segment as we bounce around the league as well and look at this weekend's upcoming opponent in Charlotte FC. But let's stay down in Fort Lauderdale for now. A couple different talking points out of this one. I do want to start with the penalty decision uh, that opened the scoring. Up until that point, the game honestly felt like a draw. It was very even. Um, Miami had a, a good portion of the first half. I think Atlanta had more control in terms of time in the first half, but didn't really make anything of it. Miami didn't make a ton out of theirs either. Start to the second half, kind of the same thing, maybe tilted towards Atlanta's side, but not by much. Felt like a really even game, and neither team could find anything in it well that changed with the the penalty and the actual penalty decision after looking at the replays and seeing it back which we were trying to to get the best we could down in Fort Lauderdale the monitor was actually behind us 
So it took a little bit of uh, spinning around, trying to time things right, catch when they were in replay. I can see how they call the penalty. I don't love it because uh, David Ruiz, I think, is very much looking for the penalty. But he finds it, and he finds contact with Machoke Chol. It's hip to hip. The the question that I think would be answered uh, by the referee crew and Armando Villarreal led it in terms of why you give the penalty there is Benjamin Kremaski is within playing distance of that ball for Maurice. So you do give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there to the attacker. And is it a pass? Is he just knocking it away, looking for the contact? What have you? Uh, it's a penalty. I'm okay with that call. Um, we've seen it not called in that situation. We've seen it called. You can justify the call. Um, what I don't like about that situation is the sequence that led to the corner. Now, I thought live Andrew Gutman had saved it and cleared it off the end line out for a throw. That's what it looked like initially. It was ruled a corner. What I really didn't like about the call, the, the, that call was correct, by the way. What had gone over the line, couldn't tell in live action. What I don't like about the call is Ruiz, again, was involved in the situation. As he's charging in to Andrew Gutman, who's trying to make this clearance, Ruiz takes a shot at him that I think is is a little unnecessary. He gets the arm out and shoves Gutman. Gutman ends up flying into the signboard. Back of his head hits the signboard. He was able to continue. Luckily, it wasn't as bad as it looked live. But that's a foul. And, and I guess the argument would be that the ball was already over the end line, and, and that's why it's not a foul. But I think Gutman might be able to make the play if he's not hit by Ruiz, who has no chance to play the ball and goes in and, and takes a shot at Andrew Gutman. Didn't like that call. That should have been called, in my opinion. So then it's not a corner, and then it's not a penalty. And then Joseph Martinez, who came into the match during the uh, check on Andrew Gutman and before the corner, he doesn't get the chance to go to the spot. Referees are going to miss calls in games. Referees are going to have judgment calls that we can see it one way and referees see it another way. They're closer to the action, all of that. I don't like that call, but that call didn't directly lead to the penalty it didn't directly lead to the result so it, it's something where we do have to separate the severity of calls when we talk about referees and how they perform in a match is it a missed call yeah i think it is i i think it's a missed call does it directly lead to miami taking the lead no because you have a corner to defend and then you have a play that you can call a penalty there uh Chol comes in aggressively and, and catches ruiz he was looking for it finds it Joseph Martinez steps up to the spot and he scores. That gives Miami life in a match where they didn't have a lot. And in the second half, they had two shots. If you can you know, figure out the math, they had two goals in the second half as well. So that's a pretty good uh, accuracy percentage, isn't it? One of those spots was from the penalty. The next one was Joseph's second goal, and it was a good goal. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin walking the tightrope on being onside on the big switch. Uh, he beats Gutman in the 1v1. And slips in a perfect through ball to Joseph Martinez, who gets in, just gets enough of the touch, beats uh, Quentin Westberg. I don't think there's really a whole lot Westberg can do on this. Um, close the ground as quick as he could. And it's a good finish. It's a finish that we've seen from Joseph Martinez many times. And Joseph gets his 100th MLS goal there. Now, I know there was a little bit of confusion. He scored over 100 goals for Atlanta United in all competitions. But in MLS play, he was on 98. He got the two goals in this one to get to 100. He is the fastest player in Major League Soccer history. 
to score 100 goals, and you have to give him a ton of congratulations. I'm sure that was going through his mind as he scored his first goal for Miami after the penalty, and I don't know what his thought process would have been if it, you know, maybe he had scored earlier in the season. Maybe he'd already hit 100 by that point. What his thought process would have been in terms of celebrating a goal against Atlanta United. Now, there is a tradition in the game worldwide that players uh, don't don't celebrate goals scored against their former team out of respect. Well, I mean, and we had this conversation in the match, and we had this conversation on the full-time report, uh, myself and Mike Conti. Mike was surprised that Joseph Martinez celebrated both goals. Um, he celebrated before he did the kneel. I'm not talking about the kneel. You can take that a couple different ways. Um, he did do it in the direction of the Atlanta United fans who were there, the largest group of them. That could be a sign of respect to them. It could also be taken other ways, and I think Joseph would know that as well. Um, I honestly wasn't surprised that it happened. Um, doesn't mean I wasn't disappointed that it happened, and doesn't mean that I, that I liked it. But was I surprised? Not really. Not with some of the comments that, that Joseph has made um, after making the move to Miami. And comments he made after the game, I think, kind of backed that up as well. He's under no obligation not to celebrate that goal. That, that we got to understand that. Again, you make decisions on what you want to do and how you want to handle it. And you know there's going to be reactions to what you do. I don't think Joseph really cared about the reactions. And he wanted to make a point. He wasn't happy about the way things ended or about how things ended in Atlanta. And he's expressed that. The part that I don't like about it and frustrates me about it, and uh, I wish it hadn't happened, and I don't think it helps the long-term relationship um, between the club and him, which will all be washed away when he retires, I think. I do think there will be a coming together at that point and he will be kind of not, not that he's not seen as a legend at the club, obviously, but I think he'll be welcomed back as a kind of cherished alumni when his time is up as a player and all the temperature dials down on it. But I don't like that he celebrated the goals against Atlanta United because the club allowed him to go where he wanted to go. And this was a, a point of contention that people took a quote completely out of context from Carlos Bocanegra in the press conference where Joseph's departure was announced. And there was a line in there about we could have been nasty. It was a direct response to a question, and I believe it was from Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. I might be wrong in that. It might have been Tom Bogert of MLSsoccer.com at the time. It was a national reporter who asked the question to Carlos about, obviously, you would have not liked to have seen Joseph Martinez end up in a conference rivals squad. And it's like, yeah, duh. Um, Atlanta could have done things differently to where he didn't have that option. They didn't out of respect to him. They allowed him to go where he wanted to go, knowing that this could happen. These are three points lost. When you look at the table at the end of the season, that's a player that was on your books and you out of, full respect for what he did at the club. And you absolutely should have done that. And Atlanta United has been consistent about doing these sorts of things for players who want to go or have an opportunity to leave. So it's not out of character for the club, but they did that in this case when the relationship was not at a good point and he didn't really repay that respect. And that's, 
that's disappointing to see. And I think it speaks to just how things ended in his mind. So that's my frustration with it. But like I said off the top, he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do when he, when he scores a goal. And in this case, he, he was jumping into the arms of his teammates after the penalty. He did the kneel. Again, I think at, at least the majority of it is out of respect to the Atlanta United fans who were there, um, who obviously are going to have mixed emotions about this whole situation. Second goal, he's celebrating with DeAndre Yedlin. It's a great ball. Um, it is what it is. You know, look, it, it's, it's just where the situation is right now. And those two goals propel Miami. That's all they needed. Two shots in the second half. They get the two goals. Atlanta, the fight back in the last 15 minutes, you do have to commend it. This is something this team has done consistently. It's what they did in Nashville. It's what they did in this one. This is a team that scored goals late. They scored another one here late. They had a chance to keep pushing for it. And they couldn't find the equalizer. Um, the second goal ends up being the winning goal for Miami. There's a huge game state effect on the final stats. And I've talked about game state all season long. And you have to take numbers and analytics and metrics. And you have to take all of that with a grain of salt because of game state. Atlanta United had the first three shots of this match. They didn't beat Drake Callender. Two of those shots were on target. First 30 minutes. Um, not bad. Good that you, you that Miami has zero shots in the first 30 minutes. That's good. Two shots on target. Again, not bad, but that's not a lot of production. Miami had seven shots in the last 15 minutes of the first half. Only one was on target. It did feel like the game was turning in their direction. 30 minutes of pretty good play from Atlanta. 15 minutes of good play from Miami. Pretty even at the break. Miami gets their two goals in the second half. 14 shots for Atlanta in the second half. That sounds great. 11 of those were after Miami took their 2-0 lead and dropped pretty much everybody behind the ball. A lot of those 11 that were after the 2-0 lead came after a red card to Miami where they dropped even deeper. Franco Negri, uh, VAR, gets involved. They give him the red. It's absolutely a red. I thought it was a red live. Um, I reacted very strongly to the initial tackle because I saw the straight leg and was pretty sure that was studs up in, in his movement into Santi Sosa. Um, luckily, Sosa wasn't injured from the play. There is an element of his foot bouncing off the ball, but that doesn't get you out of it. It studs up into the ball, uh, which ends up going into the player. It's red all day long, very easy. And it was done quickly, and it was a good work by the referee crew to get that one right. So 11 shots after falling down 2-0. The number, good but you have to take it with a grain of salt because of the game state. Just like, and you, you can't pick and choose when you do this, and you can't pick and choose when game state matters when it doesn't. Just like Memphis's shot number can't be cited as the most amazing thing in the history of the world when they were trailing from the third minute on until the third minute of second half stoppage time. Yes, they're going to have more shots. Yes, they're going to carry the play. All these things are understood. It's common sense. It's the way the game goes. That's how that plays out. Same for Atlanta in this game. You can't brag on that many shots. You can't brag on that many key passes. 16 to 8 for Atlanta. Again, 11 of those 16 key passes were after a 2-0 lead had happened for Miami. And most of those after the red card is given to Negri. So you have to take these things with a grain of salt. 
Brooks Lennon had six, cast, six key passes, a lot of those late. Luis Adarujo off the bench, thought he was pretty good in this. He had five key passes in 37 minutes. That's including stoppage time, which was 10, which was lengthy. Numbers don't tell you the whole story anytime. They don't tell you the whole story in this game. The game's different if Machop Chol converts his header in the 29th minute. He didn't. He didn't put it on goal, wasn't saved. Big missed chance. And when you don't take advantage of your opportunities, no matter how plentiful they are, things can happen like penalties and like maybe not a foul being called that led to the corner that then in the recycle leads to the penalty and everything falls apart. Coming up in five minutes, we're going to go a little bit deeper into this, a little bit deeper into where Atlanta stands in the league, a little bit deeper into the opponent coming into town, one we've seen already this season in Charlotte FC, and some news around the league as well. Be back in five on Atlanta Soccer tonight on 92.90 Game and the Odyssey app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Got some final thoughts on the match in Fort Lauderdale this weekend. Look ahead to Charlotte. Bounce around MLS just a little bit as well. But I'm going to bounce a little bit here between micro and macro and go little things and big things, little picture and big picture. Final thoughts on Miami. Um, I think this is another game where the absence of Yorgos Yakimakis was desperately felt. And I've talked about what he brings to the table in terms of movement and how it opens up the attack and creates space. Atlanta being a team that is kind of under the positional play umbrella, it is about creating and exploiting space. It is about creating and exploiting matchups. It is about creating and exploiting numerical superiority. Also, you know, superiority and quality in terms of a 1v1 that you like. Um, These are things that you're looking for. Yorgos Yakimakis is a great fit in that. He was at Celtic under Ange Postacoglu, who also subscribes to the positional play theory. Everybody interprets it differently. So when, when you hear positional play, it's going to look different from person to person who does it because it's not a it's not a set of guardrails and hard and fast rules. It, it is an idea. It, it's, it's basically that simple of you're trying to create and exploit space on the field. 
and you're trying to create and exploit matchups that are favorable to you. That's pretty broad, and you can do that in a lot of different ways. And I think what Yakimakis brings to that in terms of the, the X's and O's of it is that movement. And you don't get the same movement out of Miguel Barry. Barry had three touches coming in as a sub in this one. Um, it's not enough. And, and some of that is down to his movement. Uh, you're not getting those runs in behind from Miguel Barry. I think he combines well, but you're not getting the runs in behind that Yakimakis does, knowing that he's not going to get the ball in all of those. But it creates space. It drags defenders. It makes defenders hesitate to step up. It has an impact on the match from an X's and O's perspective. But the the harder thing to define, and you're not going to define this on a heat map. You're not going to define it on a, a set of numbers from the match because it can't be defined like that. And it's something that I noticed, honestly, with Andrew Gutman as the first half went on. And I know Gutman and Yakimakis were talking a left back and, and a striker. Maybe they're... they're uh, follically challenged ways is the thing that struck me here but it's the attitude and it's something that again you can't define easily but Yakamakis brings an attitude to the attack he brings a presence he brings a gravitational pull and some of that's down to the movement some of that's down to the presence Gutman also brings that attitude and it struck me as the, the first half went on. I talked about the first 30 minutes. Atlanta with three shots, two on target. That's not a lot. You didn't give up any, which is a good thing. But that's not a ton. When it felt like it started to really turn Atlanta's way, because they couldn't break Miami down. Miami did a good job defensively. Miami was also very content to defend somewhat deep as they were kind of feeling their way into this match. What Gutman started to do was not go completely YOLO on things, but start to take some chances, start to put his head down and go for a 1v1 that maybe wasn't that exact matchup that you're looking for. Maybe it wasn't that matchup where he has a clear advantage in quality, but it unbalanced Miami and it had an effect from a positional play standpoint. You have to unbalance the opponent. When they're unbalanced, they're not in the same spaces. They're not able to defend in the same ways. Andrew Gutman took chances with his runs off the ball, but also going for 1v1s. The reason why Atlanta can do that, and the reason why, and I think it's especially important when Yorgos Yakimakis is not in the team, because... Atlanta United is a very good defensive team high up the field. I think maybe when you compare their quality in terms of the zones they defend in, they're better defending in the attacking half than sometimes in the defensive third. They've given up a good number of goals this year. But again, this is the trade-off, and we talked about this last year a lot. If you're going to try to score a lot of goals, if you're going to be an attacking team on the front foot, if the idea is to always go for three, four, five goals a game. You have to get numbers forward to do that. When you get numbers forward, you have fewer numbers to defend. You're going to give up chances. You're not going to have that numerical superiority. You're not going to have some of those matchups. Some positional play advocates are more defensive in the way that they believe in it because they want to maintain superiority there on that side as well. Others, it's all about the attacking half, and some it's all about the final third. For Atlanta United, 
because of their ability to counter press. And they're one of the best counter pressing teams in the league, especially out of the teams that have the ball a good bit. They can take more chances. They're going to be, and this was this was a criticism from last year about a team that took too many shots that weren't high enough quality shots. You look at XG per shot, and Atlanta's a top five team in MLS. So they're taking better shots. Sometimes I feel like, and again, this is a feel thing, I feel like they would benefit from taking higher risk shots, maybe lower percentage shots, in the trade-off to unbalance the defensive setup from the opposition. When you go for those 1v1s, if it doesn't work out, ball turns over, immediately counter-press and win the ball back. Because when you can counter-press, the other team wins the ball. They're not set to build up the play. You're set to build up the play off a goal kick. You're set to build up the play off a free kick. You're not set to build up the play after your right back wins the ball off of Atlanta United's left back in the corner or in the defensive third for you. And your right back then has to deal with immediate pressure, not just from the left back, but from a midfielder, maybe from the forward who's coming over there to combine with Gutman if he wins the 1v1. You can win the ball back right there in a really favorable position and then go to goal maybe in a better chance than you started with. And I think Atlanta can take more chances in this way. And I think, yes, sometimes they can take longer range shots. That has an effect that's more than a number. And that's something that I feel like this team, without Yorgos Yakimakis, they have to take a few more risks. And it's not about getting more numbers forward. They're always going to do that. It's about going for a 1v1. It's about you lose the 1v1, win the ball back. It's about, okay, the shot opens up from 25. Have it. Don't have it all night long. Don't force it. But if it's there and it's on Tiago Almada's foot, he's going to shoot. Yes, Luis Autorujo is going to shoot from there too sometimes. It's okay. You have to take more chances because it can open up your counterpress, which could then result in a better chance off of the counterpress than the original chance that led to the turnover. You need the attitude of Yorgos Yakimakis as much as you need the movement of Yorgos Yakimakis. Let's talk about where Atlanta is right now in the table, in really the overall positioning, because a lot of conversation about things after this loss. Yes, they've lost two in a row in, in league play. Yes, the game against Chicago, they didn't look great. Yorgos was not fit in that when he did get the goal. He had to come off early in the second half, and he wasn't the Yorgos that we typically see, but that was a win. Memphis game, you got to push it to the side. It's not the same team. It's not the same lineup. You had guys who were not in rhythm, and you had a lead for... <laughs> 93 minutes and made a bad decision in a 1v1 and gave a penalty. That happened. That's part of the story too, right? So you've lost back-to-back games on the road. Is that cause for alarm? No. And I'll tell you why. Atlanta, second in the Eastern Conference in points per game at home. 2.6 points per game. Cincinnati's perfect. Uh, Three wins or, or three points in every game they played at home. I think five wins. Atlanta is sixth, sixth, not last, not worst, not horrendous, sixth in the East in points per game on the road at 0.83. That's the thing. 0.83, less than a point a game. A point a game is kind of your line. That's what you want at a minimum. You get your point on the road. You get your wins at home. 
course, you're going to lose some points at home sometimes. Of course, you're going to win some games on the road sometimes. Three at home, one on the road. That's a good team. That's a really good team. That's a top team. Atlanta's not quite there, but they're sixth in the East. Six out of a lot. Six. 0.83. There's only three teams in the Eastern Conference that have won more than one game on the road in the East this season. Only three. New England, who's off to an amazing start. Orlando and D.C. Maybe not two teams that you would think in the situation. Orlando just lost in Montreal. That's the only three who have won more than one game on the road this season. Period. Eastern Conference teams as a whole. Road record. 41 losses, 20 draws, 16 wins. 16 wins across the Eastern Conference on the road this season. And that points per game for the East as a whole. 0.89. Atlanta, 0.83. Yes, they've lost two games on the road. That's what's happening this season. Can they play better? Yes. Do they need to play better? Yes. Do they need to get Yorgos Yakimakis back? Yes. Why? What's the record with Yorgos Yakimakis in the team this season? Well, they haven't lost. <laughs> That's number one. It's that simple. Um, they haven't lost. If you want to break it down by when he started, when he's been available to start, when he hasn't, different conversation, but in games that he has played, they have not lost. Um, games that he has scored in, they have not lost. They have three wins and two draws in games that he has scored in. It's five straight starts, five straight games with a goal, and man, it would be nice to have him back against Charlotte. Don't know. Won't know. Uh, tomorrow training is open to the media, the whole session. We'll see if Yorgos is part of it, how much he's part of it, he did some training last week. I take that as a very good sign. I'm hoping that he will factor into these next two games at home. And that's the number one thing to get things right. Get back to home. Get back at home. Because you haven't been home a whole lot in the last month. Um, go Just what I was saying about the points per game. That point at Yankee Stadium looks a lot better now. That point in Toronto, which should have been three, God, I would have really looked a lot better. The point's still not that bad. Atlanta United's got to be better, but you can't overreact to dropping points on the road in this league in 2023. We'll see how the rest of the year shakes out. But Eastern Conference teams on the road, 0.89 points per game. Atlanta, 0.83. Got to get Yakimaki's back. Got to get the attitude back in the final third. Got to get the movement. Got to also activate the counter press because the counter press can be your secret weapon, like it was against Charlotte last time, right? Remember, Amar Sadich jumping into the passing lane, creating goal number one with an interception. Charlotte, that's who's coming to town on Saturday. It's a busy week for them. U.S. Open Cup tomorrow night hosting Orlando. Camille Yusviak is returning from injury to the squad for that match. Will he be available on Saturday? How available is he, period? We don't know. Adilson Melanda, he left Saturday's game injured. It was a win over NYC at Bank of America Stadium. X-rays were negative, but we're not really sure what the extent of his injury is. Joseph Mora has returned to training for Charlotte. His status for the weekend is unknown. We know the status of Enzo Copetti and Derek Jones suspended. Yellow card accumulation, five yellow cards each. At this point in the season, that's a lot. Copetti, team of the match day, uh, Two goals against NYC. 
you're missing your number nine now. I assume that you're going to put Carol Schwederski back up top. We'll see how that looks. Other things around MLS before we go to break. Two managers lost their jobs today. Gerhard Struber, not a surprise to me. Um, form has been bad. The handling of the Dante Van Zier situation, bad. And Gerhard Struber, out. Ezra Hendrickson out in Chicago. That is a surprising move to me. I don't think Chicago's woes are because of Ezra Hendrickson. Um, they have given up a lot of goals late, and we saw that here in Atlanta, and that's a problem for them, and that would be a problem for Ezra Hendrickson. However, it's not a problem of Ezra Hendrickson that the roster is not very good. It's not a problem that he's forced to rely on young players who are learning their way in this league. It's not his problem that Jordan Shakiri has been a non-factor this year. It's not his problem that Casper Shabilko has been pretty much a non-factor this year. That's not Ezra Hendrickson's problem. I don't think he got a fair shake in Chicago, and they've got to stop chopping and changing managers. They've done that way too much. It's part of the reason why they haven't been a top, top team since Cuauhtémoc Blanco left. Frank Klopas is going to get another turn at the helm to finish the rest of the year. We'll see what that looks like. But Chicago's got to figure out the player acquisition side of things more so than the manager side of things, in my opinion. I mentioned Cincinnati and New England. They have 24 points through 11 matches. This is the other thing to keep in mind about the Eastern Conference. This is the first time since 2005 that two teams have had as many points at the stage of the same MLS season. Dallas and New England did it in 2005. Cincinnati and New England, 24 points through 11 so far. And keep an eye on San Diego as a potential expansion announcement, maybe even in the next week or two. Uh, it's according to the San Diego Union Tribune. Uh, they have had pushes before for an MLS team. They haven't been able to get it over the line. It looks like it will get done. And in San Diego, the scuttlebutt is that an announcement could come as soon as mid-May. San Diego might be team number 30. I think we all thought it was going to be Vegas. Might be San Diego. What that means for the San Diego Loyal USL Championship, we don't know yet. Uh, what that means for Vegas's chances or maybe another expansion team or two to get to 32 teams, we don't know yet. But San Diego is Team 30. That could be announced here very, very soon. All right, coming up next, three local stories, four world headlines, three things that make me smile about this game that I love so much. The 343, it's up next on 92.9 Game and the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to wrap up tonight's show with the 343. Three, four. Three. three local stories, four headlines from around the world, and three things that made you smile about the game. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, final segment, the 343. Three local stories, four headlines, and three things that make me smile about this game that we love so much. A lot of things to talk about in a short period of time, so I'm going to try to get these all in before our little soccer pirate radio show ends, and then i got to drive off into the desert like Christian Slater in a Jeep. And if you get that reference, tweet at me because you're a degenerate like me. All right, three local stories. Shambly, 
They finished their 2023 high school season as the GHSA 5A girls champions. They didn't lose a game all year long. They finished at 21-0-1. They beat the 6A girls state champs Roswell on the road earlier in the season. Soleil Washington might just represent Jamaica at the FIFA Women's World Cup this summer and then return to Chambly for her senior year next season. And her younger sister might be right there next on that Jamaica national team side of things. Alessandra Washington, they were both outstanding in the state championship game. They won 9-0 over Greenbrier. And Chambly, other people would be better positioned to speak on this, but this Chambly team might be the best girls high school soccer team the state of Georgia has ever seen. Number two on the local side, we're going to stick to high school soccer. State championships were last week. If you're wondering why my voice is a, a little huskier or more ragged than usual, it's because I, I did 10 games since last Tuesday, uh, eight of them high school state championship games. Five of them went to overtime. Three of them went to penalties. So I got my work put in on the GHSA side of things. So they're going to dominate the three local stories. Number two, Johnson Knights. They won the 4A GHSA Boys State title. That was one game I didn't get a chance to call. Only team in the state to finish with an absolutely perfect record. 21 wins, no losses, no draws. They beat the 5A state champions, Dalton, on the road this year. They went through the first ever GHSA state champions, Westminster, in the 4A final. Jorge Sandoval, who spent some time with Atlanta United's Academy, he is one of the best players in the state and he scored with one second left on the clock to make it 4-2 over Westminster in that 4A final. Congratulations to the Knights of Johnson up in Gainesville. And number three on the local side, there was only one other school besides Shambly's girls and Johnson's boys that finished undefeated in 2023. It was the 1A D1 state champions, Paideia. The Pythons finished 15-0 and 5, five draws. They beat Atlanta International School in the final. Did have to go to penalties in that one. The competition level from 1A, which are your smallest schools, all the way up through 7A. It was so high on the boys and the girls' side all year long. You could go and pull up to a game, not know who's playing, not know what classification they're in, and not be able to guess a lot of times. It was that good. Um, It's just the level of play in Georgia high school soccer since I started calling the state championship games in 2017, it feels like it's night and day. It really, truly does. And, and thank you to the GHSA. Thank you to NFHS Network uh, for having me on these games. Uh, Stefan Lawler, our executive producer, um, Luke Winstall and Jessica Charman, who I had a chance to call games with. Uh, just a blast. It, it's always a week that I look forward to every single year, no matter how busy it gets, because it was a busy one uh, that wake up call to get down to Fort Lauderdale on Saturday. Oh, that came a little early after two overtime games on Friday night in 7A and two penalty shootouts. But it's a a week that I am forever honored to have a chance to be part of. So thank you to everybody involved. And most importantly, thank you to all the teams and the coaches and the players um, and the fans who turned out. It's just amazing stuff. All right, four headlines. Let's start number one on Champions League. The semifinals start this week. Real Madrid hosting Manchester City on Tuesday. Crosstown rivals Milan and Inter face off at the San Siro on Wednesday. So second legs next week, but this Manchester City-Real Madrid one is a big, big deal. Now, last year, 
City got a leg up only to cave in the second leg at the Santiago Bernabeu. Well, the sites are reversed this year. So first leg is in Spain. Second leg is at the Etihad in Manchester. Also, things are a little different with a certain striker named Erling Haaland, who might be a cyborg, uh, might be a monster, might be a little of both. Um, it's a really fascinating matchup here. I think both of these semifinals are fascinating in two different ways. couple of notes on both of these games. Keep an eye on Rodrigo for Real Madrid, player I've always liked, the Brazilian winger. There's going to be so much pressure on Karim Benzema. Rodrigo playing very well. He had a brace in the Copa del Rey final for Real Madrid that they won. That was on Saturday. He's going to be so needed for Real Madrid's attack. Now, one problem for the Madridistas is the absence of Eder Militao. They are not where they need to be defensively right now. They're missing Ferland Mendy. They're missing Militao. They've got to find a way to stop the cyborg slash monster that is Erling Holland. It's hard to do when you're at full strength defensively. It's very hard to do when you are not against that guy who's having a season for the ages in Manchester. If Real Madrid goes behind early and they've got to start opening up to take some chances, which I don't know if Carlo Ancelotti will do because of the, the two-leg nature of this. If they have to start opening up and Holland has more space to operate in, ooh. Real Madrid has to follow the long-term theory here is that you cannot win a two-legged series in the first game, but you can absolutely lose it. And they've got to be careful not to lose it in the home leg. They've got to keep things alive. And we know Ancelotti is the kind of manager who will be pragmatic, and I think he'll get that done. Even if they do fall behind first, I don't think they open up crazy. I think they wait until they have to open up to do that. And that might be in the second leg in Manchester. Going to be a fascinating game tomorrow. Cannot wait for it. Other semifinal, Wednesday. Keep an eye on Rafael Leao. He has been one of the best players in Europe this season. He is so key for Milan. He had an assist to tee up Olivier Giroud. That was what helped get Milan to this stage. 23 years old, Leao. Incredible pace. Incredible 1v1 ability. He reads those moments when he gets those 1v1 so, so well. If Pioli's men play to his strengths, Inter's going to know all about what Leao can do because he scored twice and had an assist in a 3-2 Derby win earlier this season. Milan, though, is not in the same shape that Inter is in. Inter has a deeper squad, and they're fully healthy, except for Milan Skriniar. Um, back injury, he's going to miss the rest of the season. He's going to go to PSG in the summer. All of Inter's four strikers are fit. Simone Inzaghi can rotate them through a game. They're in better form right now. They've won their last five in a row, including the last four in Serie A. They've qualified for the Coppa Italia final that'll be played at the end of the month against Fiorentina. Inter's got more depth, and they're in better form. But Milan in the Champions League has been a completely different animal than they've been in Serie A this season because they might not make it back to the Champions League next year if they don't win the thing. Champions League Milan has to show up on Wednesday, not Serie A Milan. Now, this series is also weird because both games are going to be played in the same stadium. So, yes, one team will be home, one team will be away in each game, and that's going to flip, obviously, in the two games. But it's not going to be the same effect as if you were on the road. You are going to have a lot of your fans in that building. You don't have all the tickets. It's going to get really, really interesting. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, UEFA Champions League. Tuesday and Wednesday. Fourth round, Lamar Hunt, U.S. Open Cup. Atlanta United will not be part of it. Memphis 901 will be. We'll get to them in a minute. Tuesday, already mentioned Charlotte hosting Orlando. 
Inter-Miami hosting Charleston. New England hosting Bob Lilly's Pittsburgh Riverhounds. I, I want to see if Lilly goes in there and plays super defensive into New England and can frustrate them because I'd expect they rotate a little bit. Red Bulls in D.C., that's always a rivalry match, especially in the Open Cup. Chicago hosting St. Louis City. Minnesota hosting Philadelphia. Monterey Bay of USL Championship hosting a heavily rotated LAFC who is looking ahead to a CONCACAF Champions League final. Doesn't want to get anybody hurt. Wouldn't be surprised if you see lots of names you might not know in LAFC's lineup tomorrow against Monterey Bay. Last year's finalist, Sacramento Republic. They will host Colorado. That's absolutely a winnable game for the Republic. Wednesday, fourth round continues. Cincinnati hosting NYCFC, who have been bad on the road this season. Loudoun United hosting Columbus. Memphis, they go on the road to Birmingham. That's a rivalry match, and that's a pretty nasty rivalry between Birmingham and Memphis. The fans don't like each other. The teams don't like each other. That could be a really compelling game. Memphis is unbeaten in their last seven, by the way. Houston and Sporting Kansas City matchup. Nashville hosting Dallas. Austin hosting a possible cup set team to watch. New Mexico United. LA Galaxy hosting Seattle. And, man, the Galaxy needs some help and get some momentum in this tournament. Portland hosting Real Salt Lake. Tuesday, Wednesday, fourth round of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Number three on the headline, Super Classico, River Plate, and Boca Juniors. You had a late, late penalty in the 93rd minute. And then you had a massive brawl. Seven red cards shown. Uh, six players, three from each team. Boca's manager, Jorge Almiron, is sent off. This all happens after Miguel Borja's 93rd minute penalty. Um, Augustine Palavicino of River was celebrating and taunting Boca's goalkeeper, Sergio Romero. He didn't like it. Then everything kicked off. Uh, you are possibly going to see charges filed against Palavicino and one of his teammates for inciting disorder. All kinds of problems. Welcome to the Super Classico. Uh, lots of apologies afterwards, but the game was halted for 10 minutes. Number four on the headlines, quarterfinal set in Liga MX. They start on Wednesday, all two legs. It's Wednesday, Saturday, and Thursday, Sunday. Here's your matchups. Monterrey, Santos Laguna, Club America, Atletico San Luis, and then Thursday, Chivas and Atlas in a Clasico in Guadalajara. Can't wait to see that. Toluca hosting Tigres. Reverse fixtures played on Saturday and Sunday. Now, the three things that make me smile about this game. Number one, make sure you stick around after Atlanta and Charlotte on Saturday night. Support Atlanta United's unified team. Second part of the doubleheader. The Atlanta United unified team. It's presented by Gallagher. Team of athletes of uh, those with intellectual disabilities and partners who come to help play soccer in an inclusive manner. If you haven't seen a unified game, it is so cool to see these games. Uh, it's something that I always try to be involved in however I can. If you can't hang around, if you do hang around, move down to sections 126 through 130, and you can cheer the team on. If you can't hang around, you can watch the game on Atlanta United social media channels. I'll be on the call after the full-time report. John Nelson will be doing play-by-play, -play, and Joe Freihofer will be a sideline reporter. It's going to be a big presentation. Can't wait for it. Unified game on Saturday night after the Atlanta-Charlotte game, and it's Charlotte's Unified's team who's coming down. Number two on the, the things that make me smile, the crowds at the GHSA State Soccer Championships. Just incredible. So many people traveled down to Macon for the games at Mercer. The crowds in Duluth were loud, intense. It had a vibe. It was incredible. 
Um, one of the coolest things since I started calling games happened um, both nights in Duluth where fans and, and parents, maybe, uh, maybe grandparents, maybe just fans who were there because it's good soccer were actually sitting up next to us in the, the press box area, sitting right in front of us in the stands so they could hear us calling the games. Um, it was so incredible. And so many folks came up to, to say hi and, they listen to everything here on 92.9 game. They listen to all of the podcasts and all the Atlanta United games. It was so awesome. And I just feel so good about where Georgia high school soccer is and where it's going. And number three, another Atlanta United homegrown signing, Aiden Torres. He's going to join the MLS roster next season. He signed his professional contract to play with Atlanta United 2 this season in MLS Next Pro. Uh, originally started at Gwinnett Soccer Academy, uh, joined Atlanta United in 2020. He's already earned a U.S. Youth National Team call-up. Aiden Torres is one to remember. Another homegrown. I love seeing these players get to live out their dreams as professional soccer players coming through the Atlanta United Academy. Make sure you join Mike Conti and me this week. Stoppage time back on Wednesday, 2 o'clock on the 92.9 Game Facebook page. March to Match Day will return as well because we're into a normal week of Things in my schedule, uh, that's going to be on the Off the Woodwork podcast and the 92.9 Game YouTube page on Friday. Five Stripes Countdown will start at 7 o'clock Saturday night. We will be on 92.9 Game, the Odyssey app, the Atlanta United app. Kickoff at 7.39. Full-time report will follow. You can listen to our commentary on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. Just change the audio to home team radio. And then we'll be back next Monday to talk about all of it on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Adios, everybody. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.